Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, a podcast in which I, Mark Decano, talk to comedians, writers, actors, or whoever will talk to me about comedy, what it is, what it was, and what it will be. Then I edit the result to make myself sound like a serious interviewer and not a nauseating fanboy. My guest this episode has been in multiple roles on radio and television, written and directed radio plays, and been tour support for Russell Brand and Stuart Lee. His most recent shows have won critical acclaim for his extraordinary brand of improvised comedy and have been described as unique and bespoke comedic happenings. Comedian Trevor Locke. So before comedy was was your career, what was your earliest experiences of comedy? Television, um, you know, so that that was it. I I lived in a tiny little village in the countryside. We never went to the, we didn't even go to the cinema. We never, there was nothing, you know, all I had was you know a couple of books and the television so yeah. uh, in terms of comedy yeah it would have been you know when i was a kid it would have been i don't know larry grayson's generation game the two ronnies lenny yeah. henry um <laughs> you know and as i got older you know blackadder and and, and things like that I yeah wasn't allowed to watch the young ones I didn't get into the young ones so much later um <laughs> so when did you realize that comedy was something that was going to be a bigger part of your life when did you go into it well, so a weird thing, I, t- I tell this story sometimes to people. So when mm-hmm. I was, uh, I would have been five years old um, yeah. and, and, and at my primary school at dinner times, uh, we had these octagonal tables and yeah. um, the way it worked is there was a, a dinner monitor. So an older kid yeah. would be in charge of it. So everybody would, you know, so there's a primary school. So 11 years old down to four years old. And I was mm-hmm. five. I was the youngest. And my dinner monitor was uh, uh, an 11-year-old girl called Alison Taylor. <laughs> and I can remember one day she told me, when you grow up, you're going to be a comedian. <laughs> wow. and, and I didn't know what that meant. And, I, and my mum told me. And, and so, you know, I was always making people laugh. That's, that's the point of that, you know, that story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... I didn't want to be a comedian. Uh, I didn't know that you could, you know, I didn't know you could be a comedian. I mean, you can't be, you can't be the two Ronnies. You can't be Lenny Henry, you know, so (laughs) I can't be on the telly, can I? So um, I wanted to, I I was relatively good at cricket. So I wanted (laughs) to be a cricketer for a couple of years. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a vet and, um, and then as I got older, I just thought, I can't do anything. I'm just going to be a philosopher. <laughs> so I went So I went to study philosophy at UCL. I wasn't good yeah. enough to be a philosopher. <clears throat> and then mm. it, that was the 90s. And there was a big yeah. co- uh, live comedy boom in London in the 90s. And I started doing shows. I started writing shows at the uh, at university and performing yeah. shows. And then um, there's a big agency called Avalon in London. And they mm-hmm. re- used to run a comedy circuit called the Avalon Comedy Network and it used to basically play student unions and they came to our student union and I don't know why but I was asked to host it and I'd never seen live comedy before I didn't know that it existed you know (laughs) I I had a I I had a very sheltered upbringing I lived in a village until I was 20 and then I went to university and so I didn't know much and so it it never occurred to me I used to watch Mark Thomas yeah um, on the Jonathan Ross show telling jokes 
And it, you know, I just thought Mark Thomas was really funny. He just stood up and said really funny things. I didn't realize yeah. that that's that stand-up comedy. So when um, you know, I was being funny in shows that I'd written at the, the at university, they asked me to host this thing called the Comedy Night. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, well, I can probably do. I could probably do that. And of course, I couldn't do that <laughs> because <laughs> it's very hard. Um, but it was an amazing experience. That so that that term or those first two terms of I, yeah. I I think my first I have it in my head that my first ever the first person I introduced to the stage uh I don't I, well the first headliner was definitely Bill Bailey right um but you know I introduced to the stage Sean Locke mm-hmm. um who opened his set by taking the piss out of how I introduced him onto the stage <laughs> and rightly so. Uh, yeah. So uh, Bill Bailey, Sean Locke, Dylan Moran, wow. um, Ed Byrne, um, um, Brendan Burns, Adam, uh, what's his name? Adam, the funny, the funny one, Adam uh, Bloom, the funny one, <laughs> all funny. you know, but what an amazing thing. So that's yeah. how I started to to realize oh comedy exists and i'm no good at it um <laughs> well then i graduated with a degree in philosophy not a very good degree in philosophy so first of all the problem with graduating in a degree in philosophy it's for degree in philosophy and also <laughs> it's not a very good degree in philosophy um so you know i, I didn't know what to do and um so i didn't do you know i i, I my friend said well you're gonna have to sign on aren't you? you're gonna have to sign on and then you're gonna have to work and then someone got me a job selling programs at the Tate uh, Museum, the Tate, you know, Tate Britain it's called now. Yeah. And then I delivered uh, office stationery at the uh, Royal Horticultural Society. And and then realised there was these comedy nights all around London and tried to do it. Yeah. And then the the reason I, I suppose, the reason I didn't give up and the reason I, I, because, because I, a friend of mine, Abigail Burdess, who is a, a, a comedian and writer, mm-hmm. uh, her boyfriend at the time was Jeremy Heron, who is uh, now a very well-known theatre director at the National. And he was directing, he, she dragged him to see my one-man show. Yeah. And it coincided with him directing Richard Herring's play for the Edinburgh Fringe. And yes. it, was a, it was a play about the young Richard Herring going on an archaeological dig on his gap year or his, you know, summer holiday from university. And so they needed someone, a young person. So I, I, you know, I was just, Jeremy's got to cast this play. And then there's a young person being kind of funny um, in front of him the next day. Mm -hmm. So I get an audition and I, and I I got cast in that. And that gave me a massive leg up because I, uh, Richard Herring is, is, Mm -hmm. is, not only is he a brilliant comedian, he's a very kind man. And um, so when we went to the Edinburgh Fringe, yeah, he paid for everything. And not only did he pay for everything, he put me in his show with Stuart Lee, yes, uh, which was called This Morning with Richard, Not Judy. And yep. it was going to be a TV show. Mm-hmm. And they put us in, they put me and, and, and somebody else called Natalie, who was in the, in the play, yep. in the comedy show, just so that they could, just as an excuse to give us some money so that we had some money, 
you know, a per wow. diem, if you like. Yeah. So they, they, they paid us 10 pounds to be in that show, which was enough for us to, you know, that, that, anyway, he's paying for all our drinks and food yeah. anyway, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And then when the Edinburgh fringe is over mm-hmm. and that show becomes a TV show, he keeps us in it. Yeah. So we're still in the TV show. So we do the TV show. So that gave me false confidence in a way. Cause I, cause I wasn't good enough. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't good enough to be in that show as a comedian. Mm. Um, and I wasn't in that show as a comedian. I was in that show as a joke, you know, um, <laughs> and, but it gave, but nevertheless, you know, I'm a very vain, uh, egotistical person. It just gave me the, the false confidence, if you like, to think, well, maybe I could do comedy as a career, you know, and, I'd, and, and obviously Stuart Lee, um, because I was doing that show, he, he was very, he, again, Surely the greatest comedian. Also, you know, like Richard Herring, the kindest man. Yeah. Unnecessarily kind to an idiot who is already <laughs> being too kind on his show. And just so, and, and and so he sort of became a mentor, if you like. Mm. Um, and again, no need to do this. Yeah. Not good enough to be his support act, but he made me his support act. Yeah. And gradually I possibly became good enough, you know. Um, so that was, that was it basically Lee and Herring, uh, um, if uh, they're, yeah, they are responsible for me having a career in comedy because, um, without that, I don't think, I don't know, because my act was so uh, unconventional and, you know, which is a nice way of saying not very good. (laughs) I don't think, you know, it took me so long to work out what you're supposed to do that you're not, you're not supposed to stand up and wing it every night. You're supposed to write jokes and perfect them and rewrite them. And then, you know, there was, I was a very slow learner. So other comics that started with me uh, got it much quicker and and it took me years to to become a viable live act. Right. Um, And yeah, you know, without, without Lee and Herring, I don't know if that would have, I don't know if I I might've, I mean, I don't know what else I would have done, um, but um, <laughs> and this is the problem now, you know. Yeah. Why don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I have to carry on with comedy <laughs> <laughs> because I've got nothing else I can do, really. Do you think it would have been better if, if before you'd had this this generosity from Lee and Herring that it would be more um, conducive to uh, a stand-up career if you'd had more time to cut your teeth early on? Well, possibly, yes. I mean, I, you know, and, and people should never ask my advice, but they do. <laughs> and, and you know, I give them my advice. I always tell them, you know, the first advice from me is never listen to my advice. But yes, <laughs> I think so. You know, I, because I, I got an agent mm-hmm. very quickly. Yeah. And my agent put me up for gigs that I wasn't, you know, got me gigs that I wasn't capable of doing. Yeah. You know, if you want Ross Noble, you're going to have to have Trevor Locke. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just didn't know what I was doing. It, was, it wasn't just that I wasn't good enough. It, it was just that I would, you know, I'd had so little experience in the comedy. You know, I'd, I was completely hmm. ignorant. So, yeah, I, I think definitely I'd recommend to people, you know, learn, get through the early gigs without people seeing you in a way you know do, do it in front of audiences obviously but you know <laughs> don't don't play the better clubs or the bigger clubs or don't ask people to come and see you right. until you are very good 
there's nothing to be gained because <laughs> <laughs> people people often want me I, I teach joke writing unbelievably I teach joke writing I have a an yeah. online line joke writing workshop and um sometimes there are very new comics on that mm-hmm. and um and they are they're in a hurry you know uh, yeah. uh, uh, and, and from experience i can tell them that it's much better to um to get people to see you after you've been after you're good <laughs> yeah <laughs> you've talked about some of the people who are influential on on your career but what about people who who were influential on your your style, on your ideas? Did you draw from anything, or we? You... Well, Lee and Herring. You know, everything's yeah. come from Lee and Herring, really. I mean, I, I don't think I'm not sure if people uh, years ago people would often say that, but now I'm not sure if people would notice it. But but I still notice it. You know, I still you know I um, yeah I think because I was so young and yeah. impressionable, and they were so. But you know, between the pair of them, they cover a lot of ground. Yeah. Um, so yes, and then you know in the last few years obviously mm-hmm. i've learned how to be how to learn from other comics that's part of being a comedian is learning from other comics yeah. intentionally you know watching people and and and, and actually actively learning yeah. from other people yeah um so yeah i think when in my case when i was younger it was just very unconscious it's like a baby <laughs> picking up a language you know just um and then uh, you know, I worked with Paul Foot mm-hmm. um, for for a couple of years. Very, we were in a double act, in fact, and I learned a lot from him. Um, and uh, and now I think uh, I, I I would like you know I, I wouldn't like to think that there's a single comic that I see that I can't learn something from, mm-hmm. whatever their experience, whatever however long they've been doing it. I mean, it's very fascinating for me now. Yeah. You know, you can you can you should be able to learn from other people's mistakes as well as from what other people do really well. Yeah, um, but I was an unbelievably slow learner. Do you still go and see stand-up comedy as an entertainment, or are you trying to analyze it as you watch it all the time? Um, I don't really. I don't see it as much as other comics. I don't think. Um, um, uh, you know, um, but but when I do a stand-up night, mm-hmm. I try try if it's possible to get there for the beginning, yeah, so that I can watch everybody. Um, I've been in Berlin recently and it was yep. really fascinating there. It's, it's the comedy scene is in English, mm-hmm. but the comedians are from all over the world. Yeah. And it's, so it's very interesting for me to see people doing comedy in English. Mm-hmm. English is not the first language, but it's often their first comedy language, but not always. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's fascinating to see how they, how they do it. And to an English speaking audience, again, who do not speak English as the first language. So it's, 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 that was a really inspiring experience actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you find if you're gigging internationally, you find uh, different cultural impacts on the way, on what you do or on the way that your work is perceived? I don't know. It's difficult. It's really, you know, that's impossible to verify, to know really Um, my shows because my shows now are almost always improvised. You can never really know, yeah. Um, you know, the, the point is my show is interactive with the audience, just responding to the audience. So it's yeah. it's always on the audience. It's always about what that particular audience is. So I can't really know if if this particular gig is a typical Kuala Lumpur audience <laughs> or this one is a typical Berlin crowd. Um, it, yeah, they all feel different. 
yeah to me i don't talk about cultural references you know mind it's all about who's in the audience yeah. um i was impressed by the quickness and how smart the audiences were in in berlin for example mm-hmm. that was a thing i noticed um recently um same same in in istanbul mm-hmm. you know it's it felt a little bit like it was you had to sort of remind myself that i wasn't gigging in london um <laughs> when i do it in spanish um mm-hmm. then i do come up against my limitations as a as a as a, a spanish speaker right and um but again the show then it becomes the show just becomes about me learning about you know wherever i'm doing it barcelona mm-hmm. um you know it, it's that's that's my show my show is context dependent so um yeah it, it, it's it's not so easy to notice how differently it goes in different parts of the world because that's the point, you know. Yeah. Um, in, in Edinburgh, I mainly do it to older, uh, older audiences. Right. So it's, I assume it's a different vibe because of that, but you can never know. Uh, yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about your, your newest shows, which are, as you say, predominantly improv, but also because you've changed... I don't know if this is fair to say, but you seem to have changed style. You've gone from like this this ensemble working with the TV uh, show. You've done straight stand up, and now you're doing improv. I mean, is there is it because that you want to make changes, or is it because changes opportunities have come along that you've wanted to take advantage of a different way of doing things? I just um, you know wasn't very good at straight stand up. <laughs> I think um, you know I, I was good enough, uh, if you like, um, but. Um, the frequency with which I had to <laughs> uh, deal with a heckler mm-hmm. or not really deal with a heckler, but yeah, I mean, deal with a heckler or, or just deal with a, an audience that weren't laughing enough <laughs> um, meant that I developed, uh, I became very comfortable making people laugh without yeah. having anything prepared. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, it got to a point where, you know, it really was way more likely that me just talking with them, yeah. was going to be funnier than me doing my best jokes. Right. So when I went to the Edinburgh Festival in 2013 with a, with a new show, yeah. um, the, the introduction to the show with me just, you know, chatting to the audience got longer and longer and longer because it was, it was, you know, just, well, this is, they're laughing. Why, yeah. why risk going into my <laughs> So I'd always start my show later and later. And by the fourth show, yeah. I, I had 15 minutes left of my hour to do my show and so i decided just stop it just stop doing the 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 the, the show the jokes yeah, yeah all you need to do is another 15 minutes and you've done an hour yeah and so i and i and, and during that year i developed a show mm-hmm. so the show has a, a structure if you like it has a concept is a show it's yeah. not just somebody rambling yeah um and um and the, and I and the, and that sort of changed how I approached it. I realised, well, I can still develop shows. They're still shows. They still, are, if you like, technically, they have a beginning, a middle, and an end. They have a mm-hmm. development. Yeah, it's not you know it's not as comedians call crowd work. Um, but there is no jokes written prepared. So yeah. so I have a sort of aim. I have a sort. Uh, they're built as sort of uh, social experiments or something like that. So, yes. so what community circle had the aim of 
finding out if reality is real and and um yeah. and then girl v boy um i split the audience by those who wanted to be boys and those who wanted to be girls who are you know for the, it was a game between boys and girls to yeah. see who's the best boys or girls and uh we are each other yeah i the aim of that was to find uncover incredible similarities and coincidences between strangers in the room hmm. yeah um so they all had a sort of aim if you like yeah and a point and girl v boy was the most structured because i had actual sort of uh experiments that we did you know, yeah. so we did um you know the, the girls team and the boys team and it usually was you know gender normative if you like mm-hmm. um and we would do verbal tasks physical tasks mm-hmm. first you know, to, to, to see the difference yeah. and that and so that there was about six or seven specific things that happened there whereas we are each other very very loose i just i just had to uncover yeah unbelievable unexpected coincidences between people in the audience mm. and how i did that was a mystery <laughs> um it remains a mystery um and uh, community circle had a few more bits to it yeah yeah but uh, i don't know why, what i'm saying really now <laughs> Um, you mentioned your comedy writing course, uh, Joke Hospital. Yeah, you mentioned it's got new. It might have uh, newer comedians on it. Is it? Are you are you trying to coax a new generation, or are you trying to open comedy to people who aren't comedians? What What's the overriding premise of that? No. So when I used to tour before the pandemic, when I used to go to a country like, um, where did it first start? Maybe it started in Istanbul, but you know where I would do shows in Rio. Mm-hmm. Um, Tokyo, Kuala Lumpur, places where there was a comedy scene, an English language comedy scene, but it was quite small. Right. I would always do a workshop for the locals. Okay. Um, and it would just be, it could be called Joke Hospital because the local acts would come along. Mm-hmm. And some of these local acts were, were very good, um, but because the scene was smaller, you know, yeah. less experienced than me, um, they would just go up and do some jokes and I would try to make them better. Yeah. And when the pandemic hit, um, I had a big tour had been booked in and I was going to be doing these live joke hospitals in various places around the world. Yeah. And so I thought, well, why don't we do it online? Hmm. So we, we started it online and um, it was very, very popular during, the, uh, during 2020 and 21. Yeah. And we had people from Tokyo, South Africa, Cambodia, wow. Netherlands, um, Finland, all over the world, yeah. logging in, doing then you know a five-minute bit mm-hmm. to each to us to us all, yeah. And then everybody, everybody gives them a little bit of feedback, and I give them some homework, and um, it's just yeah, it just seemed like a fun thing to do during the, the pandemic, and now it carries on, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I'm very flattered to think that people think that I can help them. Yeah. Um, and um, a woman that did her first ever gig, I, I turned up to Tokyo to do my shows there. Yeah. I walked into the club and she just walked on stage and it was yeah. her first ever gig. Yeah. And she did the joke hospital there. And then she's been attending uh, online joke hospitals and I saw her doing her own shows. Yeah. Hosting her own shows. I didn't see her one woman show, but she's doing her own shows now, her own 
full-length shows, hosting shows, and it's yeah, it's, it's absolutely yeah. thrilling to see that. Yeah, um, and I have more established comics that I work with as well. Mm. But um, yeah, it's just yeah. it's just lovely to think that you can be. It's very hard to be helpful in life, isn't it? <laughs> and, <laughs> and and when you can be, uh, what a privilege. Yeah, is that an influence from? From Richard Herring and Stuart Lee, as you were well, you know, talking about. I, I yeah, I, so that's one of the things I've, I, I really do notice this. Yeah. Often uh, I just, you know, think, you know, I don't know, what would Rich do? But, you know, <laughs> they were so, yeah, so I, I hope so. Um, yeah. They were kind and generous in all sorts of different ways. And so, yes, I, 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 yeah. I, I hope that I've um, learned from them. Can I talk to you about star stories? Yeah. One thing that I noticed in that, and this is following on from your mentioning um, this morning with Richard, not Judy, in which you basically couldn't speak. <laughs> also in star stories, you seem to be, uh, you, you played one of the Anton decks, let's call them, um, and you effectively were just being put down constantly. Do you, do you, do you like being the butt of the joke or do you, are you like the, the person who says, well, I'll do that? that role because it's just funny to be pulling well, places um no i mean i'm just uh, an actor in that show so i don't i don't have any say in what you know with 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 star stories hmm. um i i mean i think so with lee and herring i was the part yeah. of the joke because i'm the young one you know right. when you're the young one in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a social group i remember when i was when i played cricket yeah. I was quite a good cricketer, and I and when I was thirteen, I played for my village team. You mm-hmm. know, and it's men, it's men in their thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties. You know, and yeah. I'm thirteen. I am not a man, and I am on the receiving end of all the jokes. They just take because you know, because <laughs> I am an idiot. So you do you do take the piss out of and I, you know. I can remember once we were playing on a horrible pitch, and I and I and I said, God, this this is terrible this pitch, and the, their bowlers are so fast. I'm going to need a chest protector to go out and bat. <laughs> and uh, our, our wicketkeeper, Harry, uh, said, uh, you, you haven't got a chest. <laughs> uh, and I didn't know what he was talking about, you know. So, yeah, when you're, a, when you're young, I think you – and so that was the dynamic. Um, yeah. When you're an idiot, you know, when you're young, you are an idiot. That's it. Young people are stupid. Not in, just because yeah, – how can they not be? Yeah. They don't know anything. Yeah. So obviously I was the stupid person uh, <laughs> when I was doing um, Rich's play and when I was on their TV show. I'm, you know, I'm the least experienced. I'm the youngest. I'm the least experienced in the job. You know, yeah. of course I'm going to be. It's fun to to sort of unavoidable. Mm. So that's what happened there. And then with Star Stories, yeah, you know, I I, I don't know. I I just I mean I'm just playing a role, and um, you know, it's not me. You know, it's the it's the character I'm playing. Yeah. So um, and I don't. You know, you, 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 the way that show worked was you got on the cast. Yeah. You got cast for the series mm-hmm. or the show. Yeah. And then the, the parts were divvied up, but the, you know, they were divvied up by, by the yeah. producer, by, by, by Lee, uh, Hupfield and, and, uh, and, and the director and not, not by me. Right. <laughs> And I was just very grateful and surprised to be yeah. <laughs> to be involved. You know, again, this is my career on television, yeah. surrounded by people who deserve to be there, and <laughs> I've got there by a mistake. I got there because I did uh, an episode of um, Avid Marion's show. You know, remember um, Bo Selector? 
Yes, yeah. I used to pitch shows to, you know, I used to write shows. Yeah. I used to write plays and things like that. And occasionally I used to pitch them to people. And I think I had to pitch something to Andrew Newman, the head of comedy at Channel 4 back then. Right. Uh, or, or, or several times. And uh, probably had to go in there with Russell Brand at some point. And I learned to do an impression of Andrew Newman, the head of comedy. Okay. <laughs> and it's, that's, not, that's not something you can put in your comedy set because no one knows him, but comedians yeah. know him. So, so um, Lee Francis wanted me, wrote a sketch where he goes to, you know, Lee made the mistake of writing a sketch about him going to pitch an idea to Andrew Newman for a Christmas special. Right. <laughs> so he gets me in to do that. And of course it can't go on TV because no one knows who Andrew Newman is in the, in, in the living rooms of the United Kingdom, but it got seen by Andrew Newman and by various other people within the industry. So I got cast in star stories because people saw my impression of the head of channel four comedy, Andrew Newman, and mistakenly came to the conclusion that I must be a brilliant impressionist. If I can even <laughs> do and um, you know, and uh, that's how I got it. I, it was a mistake to cast me in that show. Um, <laughs> um, did you enjoy being an actor? Because you were saying if uh, stand-up wasn't necessarily your most passionate vocation, was, uh, was being an actor a, a bigger passion for no, you? No, not at all, because I wasn't good at it. You know, I was quite good. At, occasionally, I was good at stand-up, yeah? You right. know, occasionally, there would, be, there would be gigs where it went really well. Um, okay. <laughs> but with acting, I enjoyed stage acting. Yeah, I really enjoyed stage acting. But but curiously, the only parts I got were in the plays that I had written. Um, so um, <laughs> when I was on stage, uh, when I was on TV, acting in television, I didn't know what I was doing. I'd right. never done it before. I didn't know where to act to. You know, there's 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 my actors here. Yeah. There's 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 the directors there. There's a camera there and there. I don't. I didn't know where I was doing my acting. And it very quickly became apparent that everybody else did. Right. And everybody else, you know, you learn your lines really quickly. It's no rehearsing in television. You just, you just look at the lines. And then because you're good at acting, you go yeah. onto the set and it comes alive. And I couldn't do that. So it was, it was, it was, um, it was a wonderful experience to be involved with, uh, mm. you know, it was, and, and everyone, you know, everyone was really, it was a fun place but for yeah. me, there was this thing, I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, right. oh God, that's, you know, I'm just watching people acting with me, thinking, ah, that's funny, that's good. <laughs> and, and I've got nothing. I've got nothing. You know, I can say the lines. I can remember my lines. I can wear yeah. the clothes. I can yeah. sit still in makeup and look like the person. And I can say the lines. <laughs> but that's, that's the limit. Wow. So it was, it was, it was sort of a privilege and a pleasure. And, you know, I was very proud that I was in the show. Yeah. But there was just this thing, oh man, I'm, yeah. I, you know, it's not, I am, I am the weakest link. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it, I don't think it mattered, but yeah, it wasn't, so it wasn't, it wasn't something I could, I, you know, it wasn't something I could, uh, be tremendously proud of um whereas if you if you were kevin bishop or fergus craig um or harry peacock you know mm. you're brilliant in it 
Well, what about uh, writing then? You mentioned writing. You did some Radio 4 plays. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's it's very hard work. So basically, I'm, I'm, I'm quite lazy. And I, you know, so <laughs> I can earn more money. You know, the, 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 I do stand up because it's the least work for the most amount of money that, that's possible. <laughs> I don't earn a lot of money with it, but um, I don't do any work. So there we go. Um, whereas <laughs> writing uh, was very hard for me. Right. It, it, it took a long time and um, I, you know, pitched it to TV companies, to film companies. And yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I was, you know, given a, a couple of opportunities on, on Radio 4 with the afternoon play. Uh, and it was great. Wonderful. But mm-hmm. um, not doesn't pay well enough for me to be able to make a living. I'm not prolific enough. I can't knock out an afternoon play a month, you know. Right, it's one a year. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I write as a hobby. I write comedy, I suppose, jokes. I write jokes, and it's yeah. as a, it's a hobby. And sometimes I do them um, live on stage, but rarely yeah. more than once because they don't go very well. It's a pleasure for me to write. I enjoy it. It's like a, doing the crossword. But and and because I'm a comedian, you know, there's the temptation to do them on stage. <laughs> but you know, and it does obviously happen because I'm often on stage, and I've often written some jokes. But you know, when I'm when I'm playing a proper gig in a in a, in a stand up club, or when I'm doing yeah. my shows at the Edinburgh Festival, I wouldn't put them in there. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Edinburgh Festival. How do you respond to uh, reviews, reviewers, and things like that? Do you take feedback from? Um, well, it's weird. I wrote just wrote to my uh, to the guy that um, I got a four star review in the Guardian last year, mm-hmm. and um, I just wrote to the reviewer today to thank him because I did I don't read reviews, mm-hmm. so I read that review about a month ago, um, and um, it was a very generous review because he reviewed it on the first day and it wasn't a very good show on the first day and it was a very you know sometimes a critic just can sort of see what you want to do and can look and think, well, maybe in a different, on a different day with a different audience, this might be, and that was, you know, it was a very kind review. So um, I just wrote him a thank you note today. He can't review my shows this year because that show was billed as theatre. He's a theatre critic and my shows are billed as comedy this year. Um, So I don't read reviews. I used to read reviews (laughs) and it didn't, didn't do me any good. And, um, so I don't reread read them. There's no, you know, um, if they, if, if, if I see that the review says it's got five stars or four stars, then obviously I'll retweet the hell out of it and post <laughs> it everywhere, but I won't read it because if it's a good review, yeah, that's all I need to know. I don't yeah. need to know what they've written. It's not going to change what I do. Yeah. And I can only be disappointed. You know, I'll read the view and they'll, and they'll, have, they'll have given me five stars, but they'll have said a thing that, you know, that they'll, They'll never, no one ever sees anything the same way. Right. So when it's my show, what are the chances of a, of a critic seeing it the way? Get, no, they won't get it. But if they give it five stars, retweet it and brag about it, of course. Yeah. Um, and then if they don't like it, well, Christ, don't read it, of course, because it's not going to knock your confidence. <laughs> and of course, you are going to believe what they say. You know, that's the thing when it's when it's not good. Oh, God, yeah, yeah that bit is terrible. You know, so there's no there's no good can come of it, I don't think. Yeah. Um, 
the Edinburgh Fringe specifically, um, I mean, it's like the world's largest art, arts festival. It is exactly it's, like that. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Yeah. But is it as one performer among thousands? What do you draw from the festival? What do you get from it? Um, well, I get a new show. So, you know, I've either, you know, I hope I will this year, you know, so I either turn up with a new show or I turn mm -hmm. up with the idea for a new show. And by the end, I've got a new show. So okay. that's 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 thrilling for me. I love it because it's it's an it's a magic process to mm. see nothing become something. It's really extraordinary. It's just, yeah. it, uh, so it's a wonderful thing, you know. And even if you turn up with a show, it still changes during the fringe. So it's a wonderful thing. Mm. Um, it's you know the Edinburgh Fringe is a magical place anyway because all your friends are there in one place. Yeah, there's this buzzing atmosphere, so it's an exciting place to be. You're yeah. seeing people you haven't seen for a year, um, and you make new friends. You know, there's, there's, that it's 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 really you know it's the human thing. You, it's yeah. it's a it's a wonderful sort of. And as an introvert, I think I'm an introvert, or, or, or what do they call them, an extrovert introvert. I'm obviously I'm there's some degree of extroversion in the fact that I am a performer, but I am. Mm. So it exhausts me. The Edinburgh Festival exhausts me. I can't yeah. drink anymore there. Um, I, I, I find the socialising absolutely. My friend, um, my friend who does all my, um, he writes for me when I do, when I need material, I have a friend who writes for me, mm -hmm. Tom Finn. And he's yeah. the opposite. He gets, he's very clearly an extrovert and gets energised by the festival. And I'm yeah. one of the people who doesn't, but yeah, I, I, it, it's, uh, you know, you see things that you probably wouldn't see. You see other shows that you probably wouldn't see. You meet other performers. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really a, one of the best things that's, that exists on the planet, I think. Yeah. There's nowhere else on earth I'd, I'd rather be in, in August. It's, it's, right. it's, you're surrounded by beautiful people. You're surrounded by beauty because Edinburgh is beautiful. Yeah. Um, the Scottish people, um, they're different. It's different. It's lovely to be there in, amongst Scots. Uh, that's a different vibe. Uh, and it's just an absolutely wonderful thing to be able to be there for a month. Yeah. Do you, when you, you say you're meeting up and socialising with other you know, friends and other comics, do you, do you hang out and talk shop and criticise each other's shows? Or do you actually, are you able to probably, properly collect on a more human level, more personal? It both depends on the personalities involved. Both everything happens, <laughs> you know. Bitching right. about other people's shows, not you know a third person's show. Um, <laughs> um, compl you know, th there's all sorts of things go on. Um, yeah, so it's just everything there. All human life is there. You get you 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 have wonderful, unexpected, you know, tears of a clown, the face behind the mask moments. Yeah. Um, people that you you know you you've seen on stage and never met before and suddenly realized, my God, they're so different off stage. They're so, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's, uh, yeah. So yeah, you have incredible uh, festival moments. That's that, that is it. That's, 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 that's the festival, you know, yeah. to, you find yourself making friends with the unlikeliest of people. Yeah. While we're talking about Edinburgh and obviously we've talked about your, uh, your previous shows we are each other community circle tell us about your newest show the most interesting person in the room thank you yes i with pleasure um yeah well i 
I think the most interesting person of the room is a thing I've seen coming up on Instagram, you know, how to become the most interesting person, read five books a day and you can become the most interesting person in the room. And I was just like, well, who, interesting to who, who, yeah. when, I mean, like we're all interesting to ourselves to, on, on some extent, to some extent, but I have definitely been the most boring person on the room on a regular basis. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know that people find my interests and the, my lifestyle dull, but it isn't because I know other people who find it very interesting. So it's what is the most, it's not, it's subjective. Mm. So I thought, well, that might be fun to play with. And then very often in my shows, characters in, if there is somebody in the room that wants a bit of a, there's the space in my shows for people who want to contribute to contribute. Yeah. And they, they're often the, the most interesting person in the room, if you like, or are they? Are they the most needy person in the room? So I just thought there was a bit, there'd be a fun thing to explore. What does it, what yeah. does it even mean? And how can you even decide? And yeah. how will we do it? And I don't yeah. know, but we will try. <laughs> if you're if you're doing an improv show, do you have a, something in your head that you want to get to, or do you exclusively feed off the information that is provided? No, I have to feed for my shows. I have to feed off. The, it has it has to be sort of genuine, if you like. It has to. I, the, I can't manipulate a conclusion or can't get to a prepared punchline. Yeah. Um. So that's why. I enjoy the show so much and that's why at the festival where I'm doing the show every day, I get a lot of repeat business because right. people realize that every show will be very, very different because it's, because it's yeah. absolutely dependent on, on what occurs in the room and the dynamics between the individuals in the room. Yeah. However, this year I am toying with the idea of, 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 of having some prepared set pieces, if you like to, to have some material, right. um, you know, I'm, I'm not a purist, if i could write a brilliant show every year i would write a brilliant show every year every year because improvising a show every year is very difficult um but apparently for me writing a brilliant one is harder (laughs) um so uh but i am yeah so so this year i'm toying with the idea of having some prepared bits yeah but um the conclusion of the show will be we will um i don't know elect decide that one okay. person in the room is the yeah. most interesting person and they will be given a, an award uh, <laughs> presented with an award and um you know that has to be genuine it can't be pre-decided yeah. and 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 how we get there in fact the metrics by which this person is deemed the most interesting person that also has to be decided you know that the whole yeah. that, that so the only thing i know that's going to happen is one person and i don't even know that maybe it's going to be two maybe it'll be a whole family i don't know but some human yeah um, you know there are dogs allowed in bannermans you know it might even be a dog something is going to be um, (laughs) deemed some kind of entity will be deemed the most interesting in the room by the end of the show that's all that definitely has to happen how that happens how we get there who decides is it a unilateral dictatorial thing from the comedian or will there be a panel of experts that decide will there be an audience democratic uh, audience um, votes it will depend each day on the vibe of the room to me that sounds terrifying well it Um, is terrifying (laughs) yeah and it used to be terrifying uh, you know and it still is terrifying to be fair the only thing is i've got sort of nine years of 
of memories and experience to say, no, it does work. It does work. Yeah. But even then, often before a show, I will think, why am I doing this? Why don't I just do some jokes? <laughs> um, but when I'm doing it, then I remember why, because it's, it, it, it's a different kind of thing. Yeah. It's a different kind of energy. It's yeah. a different kind of smile, if you like. The laughter is a different kind of, because it's, it's something we do together. Yeah. Um, it, and, and there's a sort of togetherness. And, and that's, you know, that's what I like. The, the laughs yeah. we get are huge, big, together laughs, if you know what I mean, rather than, rather yeah. than me saying a funny thing. They're, they're very often, I don't even say the funniest things. It's, it's the audience. People in the audience say the funniest things. And we're <laughs> laughing. We're laughing at a thing that's happening in the room. We're not laughing. Most stand-up is, is necessarily verbal. It's just you could watch, you could enjoy a stand-up gig. Most stand-up gigs, you can enjoy it with your eyes closed. Yeah, yeah. You could not with mine. You, 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 you'll, you'll miss a lot. I think. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's impossible to film them because you, 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 you need a camera on me. You need a camera on the person I'm talking to. You need a camera on. The, it's, it's the laughs are, are, are a dynamic, usually a triangular dynamic, of right. what's been said of what you know so that's why usually when i have when i tour and when i have complete control over things mm. my shows are done in the traverse or in the round yeah or if they have to be done in a normal um break you know sort of rose environment mm. with the house lights up right because people need people do need that so it's it's um and that's why they've been billed as theater as well um before because they're not conventional stand up and the vibe yeah. is very different um so it's harder but the rewards for me are much greater it's a different kind of experience you know people come out thinking oh that show was great or that that woman was great they right. they you know they might think that i i but it's but that that's what it is it's, it's that person or that family was great that woman was great or that show mm. was great but it's not yeah. it's not you know i've just facilitated it if you like i'm like you know, you know the the conductor of an orchestra here. Right. So uh, you mentioned it's on at Bannerman's Bar. So uh, that's every day at what time? Uh, 2.45 in the afternoon. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And then I, in the evening, I'm doing another show with Adrian Minkovitz from Argentina. We're doing a show about the Falkland Islands or Las Malvinas, as he insists on calling them. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. And uh, where and when can we see that? That is on at 10.45 um, in the evening. Mm -hmm. in Cannon's Gate. Terrific. There's one other thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, which was reality games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, reality games was basically... When I was doing Joke Hospital with people from all over the world, presenting their little bits and then commenting on them, it was a nice little feeling. You know, every week people would return. And and I thought, well, what about doing this with with just people who, who aren't doing comedy? Right, And I have used, for various reasons, developed, if you like, mm-hmm. things I use in my creativity practice to, to write and come up with things and <clears throat> things I used for mental health. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what about if I invite five people from all around the world and give them some of my um, games, tools, techniques, things that I do, Yeah, things that I do now things that i did back then mm-hmm. give them the same tasks if you like 
things to do every day, weekly. Yeah. And then they meet up um, once a week. They've all had to do the same exercises. Mm-hmm. And everybody's a different person in a different part of the world. And then they do a sort of five-minute presentation. Instead of doing a stand-up monologue, they could do a PowerPoint presentation or, or whatever, just share their experiences. So that's what yeah. I did. And I just took it as an experiment. I put it up on Facebook and Instagram and asked for five volunteers. And I ended up getting 50 volunteers. <laughs> so we did we did 10 groups of five, mm-hmm. um, all online apart from one. Last October, I did one live one in, in central London. Yeah, and it was wonderful. It was m- one of the most wonderful things I've been involved in. It was absolutely heartwarming because it it kind of was what I dreamed of and more. Really, people people who didn't know each other yeah. logging in these things that I'd learnt to do for myself that had changed my life for the better. Sharing them with other people and watching them do something completely different with it, or or a little bit different, or very similar, and but seeing how it affected and worked for them and it was wonderful so we did have comedians do it Mm -hmm. but we also just had you know anyone doing it for whatever reason curiosity boredom because of lockdown Mm -hmm. and um yeah it's it's now being this one of the people that passed through the through the program uh, is um works for the nhs and and she wants to get it prescribed to people who 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 have come out of long-term illnesses um and I've had wonderful feedback from people, uh, and I will be doing it again. I will be doing it again um, yeah. because it takes up a lot of my time, but it's so it's it's just you just don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and people will be able to find information about that and all your other projects from your website. Well, they will be soon. The website's massively out of date, but it's going to be updated this week. So yes, yes, okay. yes. Go to the website and it will be updated. Yeah. Or, or Instagram me you know, or, yeah. or, or Facebook me or, or Twitter me. And I'll put all those links will be in the show notes. Um, so finally, then, can you please sum up for me comedy in a nutshell? Comedy in a nutshell is very cramped and it smells like nuts. Um, <laughs> I think um, it's surprise. I think that's basically is we like to be surprised. You know, people yeah. do go to uh, fortune tellers Um and you, you do want to know if it's going to rain, but also you don't, you know, if you knew what was going to happen, you, you would wish, you know, after a while, it'd be brilliant to know what's going to happen in yeah. your life. Cause you can make some money on the lottery. You can make some money on the, uh, the down the bookies. You can impress your friends and lovers. <laughs> but if you actually knew everything that was going to happen, your life would be unbearable, intolerable. So that's mm-hmm. the thing. The key to life is that we don't know what's going to happen. That's the point. That's the fun. That's the, you know, and a joke is the perfect portion that encapsulates life because the reason a joke is funny is because you think you know what's going to happen and the punchline surprises you. And that's that. Perfect. Fantastic. Trevor, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to listen to you speaking. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very, very uh, flattered that you had the interest. Thanks. (laughs) 